Well, uh, this morning we are, uh, as Dale and Frankie mentioned, we're kicking off our stand series, and, and uh, it's probably one of my favorite series we do uh, each year because it it really gives opportunity to broaden our perspective of the needs in our community. Um, and so we, you know, we have the heart gallery, and uh, you know, the stand is not just about uh, adoption because not everyone's able to adopt, as Frankie mentioned. But we're all able to do something, and uh, so the stand is really a good way for us to remind to remind ourselves that that uh, there are things that we can stand for together, stand for families, stand for. Um, stand for children, stand for one another. And in, in a world that we live in today where uh, at every angle, um, it, we, tend to, we tend to get pressure to be knocked down, uh, the church has a beautiful opportunity to stand together. And so that's the purpose of our uh, series. And uh, we're going to touch a little bit more on that story. We saw those folks are from our Palmer campus and a really amazing story. And we're going to see uh, the, the resolve to that cliffhanger here in just a few minutes. Uh, but we're going to be in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter four today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, everyone needs a tribe. Everyone needs a place to belong. Uh, it's the way we're designed. It's, it's part of being made in the image of God, that we aren't created to be isolated. We're not created to be alone, but be together, experiencing life with one another. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 2, the uh, 2 verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And if you think about that for a minute, Adam was communing with God. You'd think that that's all he would have needed. But God saw that there was still an element that was incomplete to Adam. That was human relationships and friendships. In fact, studies show today that six out of 10 people experience regular loneliness. In a world where we have unlimited access, instantaneous access to other people, we're still uh, feeling and experiencing a sense of loneliness. Everywhere you look, there are signs of people that are hungering for genuine friendships. I would even go as far to say that in the chaos of the world we see, those, those dying for identity, those, those starving for identity, and they change their genders, they change their whole perspective of how God made them, they're in search of belonging. They're in search of value. And so God created us this way. We're born with a longing to be connected, whether you're an introvert or extrovert. I'm more extroverted than my wife. She's definitely introverted. And the, the older I get, the more introverted I, I feel. Um, but, but either way, we desire deep connection. We desire longing. We desire belonging. We desire a tribe. For us extroverts, it's just easier to have bigger circles of them. Scripture uses a lot of metaphors to describe God's people. In fact, the the Bible describes that as the church. The most persistent is in Scripture is that of family. In the New Testament, they refer believers refer to each other as brothers and sisters. In fact, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Maybe you're as comfortable here as you are at at home in your sweats 
And maybe you're not comfortable. Maybe you're new to this, this family or maybe you're new to a faith and, and you just, things are kind of awkward still for you. I remember uh, quite literally stumbling into church from a, a wild night back in my rebellious days and thinking like, I will never, ever fit in here. I'll never belong to these holy people that are, that are, seem to have things perfect, seem to understand everything. And I'm like, I don't know really what the Bible says. I know about God, but I don't know anything about Jesus or what all this is about. And why do I raise my hand here or do I sit here? I mean, what, what is the whole, what is this whole thing about? Yet my heart still longed to belong. My heart still longed for a tribe. And the tribe I had been living with was not a good tribe. But I longed for a good tribe. I longed for something of value, a tribe to be connected to, a tribe to belong. And that's because there's a sense of uncertainty as, as to whether we belong. It, it feels risky to engage in friendships or relationships, right? When you're younger, you're like, I don't know if she's going to like me. I don't know what, she's, what her response is going to be. You know, there, there's a fear that, and, a, and a risk that is required when you step into a friendship or a relationship. But either way, wherever you're at on your journey, I want to share with you something this morning that Solomon, who's believed to be the author of Ecclesiastes, wrote about the benefits of belonging. So that's where we pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter four, uh, verses nine through 12. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. When we read this passage, we tend to think in terms of marriage, and that's certainly applicable here in this passage, but Solomon had a much broader uh, perspective and broader understanding of, of when he wrote this passage, when he wrote this, this book. It's the, the words good reward, when he says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil, that good reward can also be translated as a good return. And one of the things that Paul, that, that, that uh, Solomon, uh, really the three things that he teaches in this passage, the first is, is that there's strength. He says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. You think of investment, those of you who invest, you think of your ROIs. Is this worth my time? Is this worth my money? Will, will, what, I, will what is returned back be worth the investment? And what Solomon is saying here is that friendships are worth the investment that there's always going to be a good ROI, return on investment in friendships. Now, I know what you all are thinking. I've had that friend and it wasn't a good return, right? We've all been betrayed by people. We've all been the ones who have probably betrayed others in our lifetime. But there are still opportunities. There are still things we learn from those friendships. And in the family of God, it means that we practice forgiveness. We practice reconciliation. In fact, Paul would say that, that believers are given the ministry of reconciliation. That's hard, especially when it comes to um, people that have wounded us. And there's something special about working together with, with, with other people, isn't there? There's, there's a bond that takes place when we work and when we serve together. See, Solomon, in all of his success, he discovered a principle that holds true for every, area, every era of every time. That none of us can do alone what all of us can do together. 
None of us can do alone what all of us can do together. There's strength in numbers. There's the power of teamwork. We have phrases like, many hands make light work. So none of, none of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. There isn't a person sitting here today that God has not already created you and set out the works before you to do. That's the truth. No matter how you feel, no matter how much you've been rejected, no matter how many friendships you've had that have been strained or relationships or marriages that have just left you feeling like, man, I'm no good to anyone. And we've all been there in our life. But that's not the truth about God. That's not the truth of how he designed us. In fact, the church in Jerusalem, if you read in the book of Acts, man, they were a mixture of a bunch of variety of people, to say the least, different backgrounds, different personalities, experiences, hurts, oftentimes uh, conflicting opinions. Even Paul and Peter had very, they, they had sharp disagreements, yet they found a way to work together. They understood the idea of strength in numbers. And because they did, what happened? The church was born. Lives were changed. History was changed. As we follow their example to commit to one another, even in the messes, the same is going to happen for us. So, it's, so we, we don't start out today with, with, with the confusing idea that, that we'll find that perfect relationship because it doesn't exist other than in the person of Jesus. It does not exist. So if, if, we're, if we're on this earth and in a group of people, no matter where we are, we have two choices. We can either accept that truth and figure out how to work through those or we can isolate ourselves. Just like marriage, it can be messy and hard to navigate at times. And that's why commitment is key. So whether, you, whether you feed the hungry, house orphans, help those that are, that are taking orphans in, clean up the community, rebuild fire-ravaged towns, share the gospel, none of us can do alone what all of us can do together. So belonging to God's family as adopted sons and daughters invites us into a strength that cannot be found in isolation. We can get more done being led by the Holy Spirit and in unity than we ever could alone. And Paul says, second, or, or uh, uh, Solomon says, secondly, that, that belonging and having a tribe gives us support. He says in verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Whether you're a believer here this morning or not, we all know what it's like to get knocked down. We all have troubles. As we saw in this video, the, the Wombolts hit a place in their life where they needed help because life happens. She had this burning passion that God instilled in her, a, a compassion for these, these children. That she, and, and her vision is like, man, we could help. We could be a part of changing the trajectory of these kids' life. And that's a God-given passion and desire. But she was about to have her baby. They had, they had two or three other kids at the time. Like she's thinking, I, I don't know if I can do this. And so she was in a place where she needed that community. She needed that help. And if she had been isolated, she wouldn't have had that help. But we all face troubles. In fact, Jesus promises us troubles. In John 13, or 16, 33, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, we all have burdens to bear, bad days to endure. Some of our burdens are, are, are a result of our own sin, our own immaturity. 
in the faith are our lack of obedience to the Lord, and some have nothing to do with that. Some are just life circumstances in the path of obedience that creates difficulty. So Paul would write in Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I was a youth pastor for many years and I, and I always, the most commonly asked question for kids who are, who are wanted, students who are wanting to take their faith serious is what is God's will for my life? Jesus sums it up very clearly. He says to love God with all your heart and to love others as I have loved you. All of the law is fulfilled in those two things. And, and, and Paul says, bear one another's burdens. That's part of loving one another and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need people. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And I've, I've been through adverse circumstances and it, it won't, they aren't the last times I'll have gone through adversity and same for all of us here. And we need those brothers and sisters around us who are gonna be there fighting with us through those hard times. See, having a tribe that cares about and is willing to lift us up whenever we're fallen is key. Belonging to God's family is what provides us with the strength to get more done and the support we need to get through the difficult times that we will face if we're not in them right now. My family and I were down in Maui when the fires broke out. Devastating, absolutely devastating. I mean, we talked to an officer down there who said they were finding full families in cars, that the fires were so hot, they weren't breaking windows. It was melting. It was, it was liquefying the windows. It, it just the most devastation that I could think of is happening. And, and you know, we, we ended up having to stay longer than we were planning for, which in any other time would have been great to get stuck in Maui, uh, but not this time. This time was very somber. And we ended up staying with a, a, a couple down there who he's a pastor down there. And so we went and helped out at their church and uh, saw the community of believers come together like I've never seen before. We're talking different, uh, different denominations, different uh, liturgical approaches to ministry, different theologies, different doctrines, and, and all of them just put aside those differences and came together. We were able to help distribute clothing, and, and I mean, it, was, it was amazing. No governmental influence at all. No, no pressure. In fact, they're still dealing with not having uh, governmental help down there. It's still the people that are providing opportunities and, and help to those in need. And, and people, I, I hear oftentimes people bashing the church for, oh, it's just a profit gain. It's just manipulating people, all that stuff. And while church can be messy at times, there's nothing like the church coming together for the glory of God. His heart, his, his, his print, God's fingerprint is in the people of Maui seeing where their reliance was on the government to take care of them. And now they're seeing that it's the church down there. It's Samaritan's Purse. It's these other organizations that are stepping in and helping and just giving sacrificially in unity. While we were down there, I lost, uh, I, I got news that uh, a spiritual mentor of mine um, passed away, a pastor over in Palmer of, um, of um Farm Loop, <clears throat> Farm Loop, and, and um, he, you know, I met with him every week for probably a year and a half, two years, and, and became like a spiritual father to me in, in a lot of ways, and, and, you know, I'm dealing with that, and then we come back, <clears throat> and I'm thinking like, man, I just want to go back, I want to help the staff there, I want to help them get prepared, and we were stuck, and then when I came back to see the way that the Christian community has come around them, I mean, there were several churches, including ours, in, in uh, Pastor Jonathan and Wasilla, <clears throat> who just took a moment to pray for those folks over there. That's unity of God. That's God's people coming together in times of trouble. 
Solomon would say thirdly that, that we're given encouragement when we have a tribe. Again, he says in verse 11, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Now, in the context of what Solomon's saying here, he was speaking to nomadic people that lived in the desert. And in the desert, it gets extremely cold. And, and so, so it, it serves as a practical advice, but there's so much more to it than that. It serves as a spiritual metaphor. So you don't have to live in a tundra, in, the, in a tent in the tundra to get cold and lonely up here, right? Sometimes we walk in week after week and feel lonely and isolated. Life is pressing in on us. It's more than just about keeping each other physically warm. We need help to face circumstances beyond our control. When, the, when those questions start arising in our lives, it says, Lord, how in the world am I going to get through this day? How in the world am I going to get through this circumstance <clears throat> that we rely on one another as God's family? Not as perfect people, but as God's family, as brothers and sisters who are all brought in, given the same grace, given the same forgiveness to move forward in unity and strength. And anytime one of God's children gets separated from the family, the fire starts to go out. Spirit starts to grow cold in us. We need one another. There are circumstances that will be out of our control things we're faced with that we, we cannot navigate alone. I, I despise the, the saying, God never gives us more than we can handle. It's absolutely not true. God never tempts us beyond what we can endure. Yeah. God never tempts us into sin. He never gives us more than what we can handle through him. But he always puts us in situations because it's his design that we rely on him for our strength. For when we are weak, he's strong. And the way that we, re, re, we love one another is by doing what we're doing here, is by meeting together and celebrating God together. Do, have you ever thought about the fact that when we meet here, God serves us? This is a service from God to his people to comfort us, to, to minister to us. And so how do we serve God back? By loving him with all of our hearts and by loving one another. So it's a twofold uh, uh, situation that we get, to, we get to celebrate each day, but there are six other days. There are six other days that God says, hey, I'll minister you to you Monday. I'll give you people to love Monday. I'll give you situations to help out with uh, come Monday. I want to play the second video so you guys don't have to be left with the cliffhanger for too long. It's the power of community, power of friendships. And friendships can get messy but it's the power of those friendships that <clears throat> allow us to be available for others when they're in need. Hebrews 10, 24, the author, or, yeah, the author says, uh, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So let us think about these things. Let us consider, let us deliberately ponder how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the most important reason why we meet together. <clears throat> that through the ministering of God to our hearts, we're able to be conduits of God's blessing to other people, that we're able to encourage one another in love and good works. And, and I'm going to take a second to say you guys do a phenomenal job of that up here. I, I can't tell you, one, knowing some of your stories and what you guys are doing, how inspired I am in the deepest part of my soul by what you guys are doing. 
I brag, I've connected <clears throat> all over, especially the Valley with pastors, and, and I am always bragging about the way that you guys love one another here. It, it's, it's, it's a working of God. There's always stuff to improve on. There's always things we could be doing and, and understanding more and forgiveness and all that stuff. But man, when it comes down to it, you guys are, when I, when I think of Willow, I think of a group of people who love one another with the, the affection of Christ. And that's incredible. And the warmth we experience as we worship here, that's our longing being stirred. It's our affections for Jesus being stirred. It's our passion. It's our love for God. It's our love for people being rekindled. Think about when you first gave your heart to Jesus. You know, there, there was such a, a, an acceptance of God's love that you're like, why does he not know me? Does he not see in me like he loves me deeply and there's a passion, there's a fire that says, man, like I know other people that probably think the same thing, that Jesus can never love them, that if Jesus really knew them, if he knew their mess, he would reject them and there's just no possible way if a guy like me, if a guy like Paul, if a guy like David can, can live our lives in, in opposition to Christ, that there is no way that God's love can't transcend through that. But we're a part of that. We're part of spurring one another on. So belonging for the brothers and sisters in Christ here, belonging to a family we worship with, we fellowship with, it fans into flame and keeps us spiritually warm. When you, when you think of going to church, it's easy for us to, to still, even though we preach against it and we talk about it often, that this is not the church, the building is not the church, that God's people are the church, and we say yes and amen to that, but so often we still function as, well, I gotta get to church today. <clears throat> and I, I would just encourage you to think of this as an opportunity to get together with family. Instead of this, instead of this pressure, it's like, man, we get to go celebrate with family. And, and Solomon says in verse 12, he says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. These words were based on military strategy of the ancient world. They, they, they didn't have buttons to press. They, they were back-to-back -back fighting among one another. The soldiers went into battle with a partner, someone that could be counted on and trusted. They stood back to back. It's where we get our term, I've got your six. It's the same idea like there, there's, a, there's a view behind me that I can't see right now, but all you guys can. And, and there, there's something about being together when there's blind spots in our lives that we have other people there that are speaking into those and saying, hey, I got your back. Let's, let's move forward. In fact, Paul would say in Galatians that they says those, those caught up in sin, those who are mature, go and restore them, not reject them, not condemn them, not shame them, but restore them. That idea is to, is like taking a broken leg and, and, and placing it back together. It's the idea that we're not after an opportunity for isolation or rejection. We're after reconciliation. We're after restoration. So if we have opportunity to live in a community, to belong to a tribe, if we, if we pursue guys and, and, and brothers and sisters who, who have our six, why do we find ourselves isolated? Well, there's multiple reasons. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's shame unrepentant lifestyles we live. <clears throat> but I think a large portion of it is because we've been wounded. We've been hurt by people and we're not willing to step out into that relationship again. 
In fact, Hebrews 12, 15, the writer says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. <clears throat> I have a friend, his name is Mike Michaud. He goes to the Wasilla camp. He's been a, been a brother, a true brother of mine for many years. And about six, seven years ago, I went through a really, really painful and hard season. And, uh, and I had gotten to a place where I thought, well, God's good, and so he only wants happy for my life. And so I'm just gonna stay away from anything that is painful, including relationships of people that had wronged me. And, and it was him, it was Mike who said, Josh, when you lean into the pain, that's where God will meet you. See, we isolate because we feel like there's a sense of vengeance. Like, well, we're gonna show them, we're just gonna isolate. I'm gonna withhold myself. We see this in marriage, right? The, the cold shoulder type of idea. Like it's our way of enacting the hurt and processing the hurt and almost paying back to the person by isolating ourselves. But we don't meet God when we run, and what happens when we isolate ourselves? Well, Proverbs is very clear. Uh, chapter 18, verses one and two says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And I've had friends and family who have uh, walked this path of isolation out of, out of church, church hurts, out of wounds, out of broken friendships. And this has been their end, that they get to a place where their, their desire is to avoid anything that can be conflicting, anything that can cause pain or anything. And so they end up breaking out against sound judgment and in the end, um, take no pleasure in understanding we all could find justification for isolation. I mean, every one of us here has experienced hurt that would give us and justify the reason and the, the, the opportunity to isolate ourselves. It's true. I, if you get to know me long enough, I will let you down and you will let me down and we will let each other down. It's just the way it is. I know we go into our marriages thinking it's gonna be perfect and then we realize after a week that it's not and we're gonna let each other down and that's gonna happen. And so what's, what's the alternative? To isolate, but then we know the outcome of that. It's when we lean into the pain with humility, with reliance on God that we say there's something more important than this circumstance. It's why Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive him? Like, there's a reason why Peter asked that. Like, Peter was struggling with this. Like, man, this is, this is one too many. This is one too many. And Jesus is like, not, not seven times, 70 times seven. Because Jesus understands it, it, it's hard. It, it's, it's hard to, to give forgiveness. It's hard to humble ourselves. It's hard to enter into a friendship when that person's wounded you. But this is the life we live. We are made up of imperfect people with a perfect God who loves us despite our imperfection. That is the gospel. That God saw the mess we were. He says, hey, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I'm not surprised by your mess. I will actually sacrifice my son so that you can be reconciled to me. That's incredible. God doesn't just call us to believe. He calls us to belong to one another. The entire Bible is the story of God building a family that will support, that will strengthen, to stir one another up in love and good works for all eternity. He created you and I to be a part of it. God knows the messiness of this world. He knows the world's entire goal is to separate us from him and separate us from one another. Division. That's why, that's why the New Testament talks so openly about the need for unity. 
But you can't have unity without forgiveness. You can't have unity without going through hard circumstances. And it's just the truth of it. But you also have unity when you need people. You have strength when you're weak. And that is the beauty, the unique beauty of God's church. So is it possible to live in isolation? Absolutely. But it'll never be a better, a better choice. Is it, despite how good it would feel to just avoid it all, it never leads to what we actually want, and that's peace. Commitment to one another. It's not without messiness. It's not without pain, not without difficulty, but neither is isolation. And we weave ourselves together as God's family with all of our backgrounds, all of our personalities, our opinions, all that stuff. We're strong. We're supportive. We're kind. We're compassionate. We're patient. We're humble. Because we're one. When we look at church as something that we do, then we're not really woven together. When we look at, at church as being you and I and all of our messiness interwoven together, supporting one another for the glory of God and for the good of, uh, good of one another, then we see it as a whole different thing. Love covers a multitude of sin. And that's the purpose of taking these two Sundays and addressing the need for us to stand together, to not just isolate ourselves, but to stand together for, for families, for children, for grandparents, for the lost, for the weak. I'll invite the worship team to come on up, and I want to leave you with this exhortation from Paul. As, as we read through this, this really is the purpose and the call of us being together despite our messiness. Listen to what Paul says, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. We can just take that verse out. That would make our lives a lot easier. No, it says bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Are you hearing what Paul is exhorting us to? That even in our, even if they're our enemy, we don't isolate. We're actually called to engage with our enemy in love. And if that's what we're supposed to do with our enemies, how much more do we do that for one another? How much more do we care and love and be patient and bless our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ? I know many of you are taking on very difficult responsibilities, and God sees that. And despite how difficult they are, the church is here for you. We're all going to hit that, that place in life where we need our brothers and sisters. So if you're in need of help, ask. If you're feeling like God has been asking you to reach out to someone, do it. We never can imagine how much of an impact that could have. One conversation, one act of love. Think about those acts of love and those conversations that somebody else reached out to you with. Think about how impactful they've been. And when we stand with each other, when we stand for each other, as I stated before, none of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. So maybe you're not in a position to adopt, but others are that need our support. Maybe you're, maybe you're in a position of needing help, and there are, there are amazing gifts sitting right in this room given by God for this purpose to help one another. Ephesians 2.13, that it, it was before the foundations of the world that God's, God created us specifically and set out the works for us to do. So if you want to know God's will for your life, love others. And in loving others, you'll love God. Love God with all your heart. That means that, that when we forgive, we're forgiving because we love God. Think about the, the brothers in my, in my life that um, I, I don't have friendships with anymore. And, and reconciliation doesn't mean you're best friends with people anymore. It means that there's no bitterness sitting, sitting in between you. And there are guys that, that have betrayed me deeply, that the brothers, and I, and I still wonder, how, how is this going to work in heaven? Is it going to be like an awkward, like, hey, you stay on that side, I'll stay on this side, and we'll just... No, you know what I think? I think that we're going to be so fixated on Christ and his glory that none of that stuff will matter. And isn't that how we come to forgiveness on earth? That when our eyes are fixated on Christ, we have the ability to forgive. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. Would you stand with me as we worship? And as we, as we sing these next couple songs, I would encourage you to ask the Lord if there's reconciliation in your life that you need to pursue. Ask the Lord if, if there isn't. Ask the Lord if there's someone that he would have you reach out to. Let his spirit direct you in those things. I know in, in ministry, we can get caught up in, in so many good things to do, and yet we can't do all the good things. But what good thing is God calling you to do?